stuff came in to take care of them while they're down uh, in Charleston. And uh, so she sent us a letter to say thank you. Um, Tina's going to come up and read it because there's no chance at me getting through it this morning. My wife was supposed to read it this morning, but uh, we went on vacation for Christmas and um, we brought back a souvenir called COVID. Um, and so Abby and I are good, but our kids are still, they're still not. So Tina, if you would go ahead and come up and uh, read the letter, and then I'll give you a little more information about how we're going to communicate with the Larrabees over the next several months and, and how things are going to go with that and um, stuff like that. So Tina, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I will try not to cry You'll as well. You'll cry as much as you want. <laughs> okay. All right. This is from Becky and Zach, the Larrabees, too. Their Origins family. Dear Origins family, Words cannot express how thankful we are for all that love and support you've given us during this time. All of the hugs, texts, cards, gifts, and kind words we've gotten these last few months have encouraged us deeply. We walk in the hospital today knowing that Grant has been and will continue to be covered in the most sincere prayers and love from all of you. We truly could not be going through this without your faith and love pushing us forward. We count all of this joy, knowing that Christ has already received glory, and we receive joy, comfort, and peace because of your faithfulness to bear our burdens with us. We love you guys and can't wait to see you soon. Love, the Larrabees. So if you guys will join me in prayer. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today as a part of your body. And Lord, we unite our hearts in faith. Lord, your word says faith is what moves you. And Lord, I sense the faith in this house, this place here, Lord, and we're all united together in belief for baby Grant and for Zach and Becky and little Cooper. Lord, that this is a beautiful beginning. And Lord, we do pray for healing in every area of their life, and we speak peace and comfort and joy, as Becky said, over them and all the fruit of the Spirit to be manifest. And Lord, we pray in that hospital that your glory will shine through the Larrabees, and Lord, that you will be praised and glorified for what is to come. And we thank you. And your word also says, where two or more united, you're in our midst. And Lord, when we unite ourselves in faith and in prayer, things happen for you are God and you don't ever fail. And we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tina. So for those of you who are a little bit unaware of trying to figure out what's going on, um, like I said, Zach is our city missions pastor. Um, and they, they've been kind of finding out progressively over the course of the past several months that baby Grant um, has, has some issues and they're they ultimately found out that it's related to something called charge syndrome. And so what they know currently is that his heart is malformed. Um, man, I love the Larrabees. <laughs> like, there's no way to know them without just loving the snot out of them. Like, that's just, that's just who they are. Like, Zach is one of the most meek, like, man, he's just this unshakable, unflappable dude. And, uh, like, even in his worst days, like, Zach is Zach. You know, it's so neat to see. And Becky's like his counterpart. Like, you know, she is, she's all Becky. And, uh, man, when we, uh, we've never hired from the outside, but we did with them. And, like, it was, it was a completely ridiculous, miraculous, like, appointment for them to us. Um, so, yeah. So, Baby Grant's heart, we know that it's not right. There's, he's going to require multiple surgeries over the course of many years, um, but then they also determined that in addition to that, the reason that that's there is he has charge syndrome, and with charge syndrome, there's a potential for uh, a plethora of abnormalities, but a lot of them they will not know until he's born, and so they, they can see the heart issues, and they know what's got to be done there. He'll probably have to have uh, surgery within the first week, um, and then months down the road, then years down the road, um, and they even said potentially by the time he's a teenager, he'll have to have a heart transplant, and so there's a lot there, and so um, just a lot of unknown. And so we want to, uh, we love them like family. And so that means we're going to take care of them. And so if they're there for one month, we take care of them. If they're there for two months, we take care of them. Three months, however long they're there, we, we take care of them. Um, and so over the course of that time, the way that we will, you know, especially these first few weeks, um, we'll give updates 
Uh, they probably don't need a ton of texts, and to be bombarded and that kind of thing, they probably won't be able to respond. Um, so Zach's going to be communicating uh, with me and the elders, and so we'll get that information out. They're open for it to be shared, and we'll keep you updated. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you not to text them, say I love you and I'm praying for you, but don't expect a ton of response just because they've just got a lot going on over the next several weeks and months. Um, but as things come up, we'll let you know. As needs come up, we're going to bring those up. Over the past month, like, we didn't really ask for a whole lot, um, but I'll, I'll just tell you, like, thousands of dollars have come in to be given to them, um, like tons of Grubhub gift cards and DoorDash gift cards and all of those things have come in, and we were able to leave a basket on their front porch, uh, and they just opened it, and they were like, oh, my gosh, like, how much stuff this is, and so, you know, hopefully they had room in their car to take it. Um, they'll be staying at the Ronald McDonald house as soon as an opening is there after, uh, after the baby's born, and then Cooper is staying with uh, Becky's parents until things are a little bit more stable, and then they're going to take Cooper down, and he'll stay with them down there too. That's their, their firstborn son, and so um, we're just not going to see them for a little while. Uh, so pray for them frequently, pray for them intentionally, and uh, we'll keep you guys posted. And, you know, if if at any, we will open up just kind of a, a giving line. So if you want to give to benevolence towards them, um, we will make sure that they get that in the form of gift cards or in the form of cash, however we want to give it to them, however they need it. Um, so we'll put that in the weekly email this week. And so if you want to give towards that, you can. Um, and so thank you for taking care of family. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. And so they've been incredibly grateful through all of this, and we've just been incredibly just amazed by how well uh, the Origins family has rallied around them. So thank you for doing that. So, all right, enough tears for today, probably, maybe, who knows. Um, if you know me, I'm a stalwart, like I'm, I'm, you know, never happens, but anyway, that's not true. But I, t- I will tell you one thing, I love orange juice with pulp. Um, I don't know if you do, but I think pulp is probably one of the best parts of orange juice. I don't want the high pulp orange juice where I have to chew it, but, you know, just so I know that I'm drinking something that didn't come out of a fountain. So, here's what's going to happen today. Um, Originally, like I said, I had planned on jumping back into 1 John and just continuing through that. We'll jump into that next week. Uh, but over the past couple of days, like, just kind of thinking, I'm not a New Year's resolution guy. Like, I'm not a New Year's resolution guy, but I am a goals guy. Like, I think goals are good. Uh, but I just don't call them New Year's resolutions because I'm, you know, I'm just rage against the machine kind of dude. And so I'm just thinking through the life of who we are, this faith family, um, what God has built that we did not and it's been fun to watch. The last year has been, it's been a ride um, just to see, like a lot of your faces, I know that you're relatively new and not everybody could make it yet today because apparently a lot of people have flu, COVID, RSV, whatever all of these things going around is. Uh, but it's been fun to watch to the point to where I think, um, like as far as goals for the church, like I've never been a numbers guy. Like I've never once prayed that God would give us X number of people. Like, that's just not how I'm wired, and it's, not, it's, just, it's just not me. But I do pray for health. I pray for maturity. I pray for salvation. I pray for all those things, and your elders do, um, and we want those. Um, but as far as, like, setting numerical goals, it's never been something that we've done. Uh, but it's, like, to the point that we're going to have to ask Zen if we can buy them more chairs because we're, we're out of chairs on even an average Sunday right now. So, so we need Because we're using all the chairs they got right now, so we need, need more of those. And, and it's just been fun to watch, you know, people relate to other people and or even somebody just walk in, you know, off the street. If you've walked in on a Sunday off the street because you live downtown, man, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're incredibly grateful. If you met us just because there's a sign flapping out there on non-rainy days, man, we're incredibly glad you're here. But here's what I'm, I'm praying for in the next year. Um, if we can be marked by anything, uh, I don't want us to be marked by a splendid gathering. I don't want us to be marked by amazing, you know, amazing, just beautiful, orchestrated things that go on. I would, I desire that we'd be marked by people that trust in God enough to pray and seek Him well. Like just, just honest prayer. And, and I think the, the crazy thing about this is, and, and we're going to look at a couple different things today and bounce around and just kind of have some guided prayer. Um, I think if, I, if we did a survey of most people, one of the things that would be considered a spiritual discipline that most of us struggle with uh, would be just prayer. Because we ask people like, well, what, what's the hang-up? What's the difficulty there? And here's the answer most of the time, and you may answer it the same way. I don't know how. I don't know how. And so over the course of this year, we're going to revisit this kind of uh, periodically. It's going to be like a, a slow series kind of a thing. We'll, we'll take pauses in other series and just kind of readdress it. Um, and just, we're just going to talk about the simplicity, the beauty, and the purpose of prayer. 
Um, Prayer is not an incantation. It's not a, a list of magic words that we say and that we repeat ad nauseum just so that God will hear us. It's not that. Uh, but it is something that's been laid out in Scripture for us uh, from the very beginning, just in a very conversational, very familial tone. And I just want us to look at it well. Today, there's no way that we can look at everything about prayer, and there's no way that we can look at all the types of prayer. But we're going to look at kind of five ways that we can pray and just if you will, I'd love to guide you in just those five ways as we're a family together today. Um, But we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them. Um, I I will tell you, there's a lot of places we're going to jump after this main text. Uh, They'll be on the screen. And so if you want to read and and not do Bible drill, that's fine. But I'll try to give you time to do Bible drill too, because we will be bouncing around a lot. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in, and we're going to think well the best that we can about prayer. God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you um, that through Jesus, God, we can, we can be made right with you uh, if we just believe, if we just trust in his life, his death, his words, his resurrection, um, trust in it to the point that it's just that that makes us right with you. Not our things that we call good, uh, not the things that we call our best, but just Jesus. God, this year as we as we seek to be a people that are marked by conversations that we continually have with you. Father, I pray that we could rest in the goodness of Jesus, what's afforded to us uh, through him and only through him. Um, God, thank you for the grace that maybe most days we don't fully understand, don't fully comprehend, and it's difficult for us to accept, uh, but it's still truth and it's still reality. God, I pray that we experience just a, a level of intimacy with you this year that we have not before. And Father, I pray you do great things as a result of that for your kingdom, for your name, and for your glory. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. In Matthew chapter 6, um, we, have, we have a recorded instance in which Jesus actually saw the need to teach his disciples, like his specific 12, but also the general disciples, and even some incredibly religious people that were kind of watching from a distance. He felt the need to teach them how to pray. Um, and he did it in very simple fashion. Like, this is kind of in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount. And so he's, he's uh, confronting a lot of things. And, and a lot of times he would say, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. Um, and so he gets to this portion of prayer. And it kind of seems like it's out of nowhere in chapter 6. But it's, it's in the grander scheme of Jesus just kind of laying out, like, what does this look like to, to know God, to follow God, to live this life that, that only Jesus can set us out on? Um, and I would even say that probably the disciples, even the 12, based upon the things that they said in days, weeks, months, years to come, that they didn't fully comprehend what was going on in this moment. But they would later. But at this moment, they didn't because Jesus was giving them a lot of information, a lot of things. Uh, they, would, they wouldn't experience the light bulb moment until after his resurrection and ascension. But in this moment, he's preparing them. And he's teaching them. He's giving a lot of information, a lot of not so much do's and don'ts, but ways to think, ways to process, ways to feel, ways to pursue. Um, and in this place, in chapter 6, verse 5, um, he just begins this, this small section on, on prayer. And we're going to read 5 through 8, and then we'll, we'll talk about the rest. Starting in chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him read this text numerous times. We reference this many times, and every time we've talked about prayer, we generally start here or we stay here. Um, But there was a word that jumped out to me in these first few verses that I don't think ever really jumped out to me the way it did uh, in the past few days, and it's just the word when. When. He says it three times in these short few verses. He says, "And, and when you pray. The first time that he says it's beginning right there in verse 5, and it says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. We'll get into that in just a second. But I think the when that he says is very important because what we need to take and understand from that is he doesn't say, and if you pray. He never says if. He never says, um, by chance, do you feel like it? But he says, when. 
I think that there would be an understanding by the disciples, maybe at a later date, maybe they were starting to figure it out now, and we need to completely latch on to it, completely comprehend it, completely hold it, and not let go, that as a byproduct of what has been done. We've been granted union with the Father through Jesus. We are children to the Father. We, we have relationship with Him. There should be an expectation of prayer as a result of, of who we have union with. There should be an expectation of prayer. Not an if. Not, not uh, it, maybe it's convenient, but like a when kind of a thing. Like he's speaking to the disciples, those that he knew that God had granted to him that he would build the church upon. The ecclesia would be built on these 11 of the 12. He knew that there would be a win. And so he's telling them. He's like, understand, this is a given. This is a given. As a result of what I am saying to you, as a result of the life that I'm living, as a result of the death that I will die and the resurrection that I will achieve, um, and the ascension that you will witness, as a result of that, there will be a win. And maybe in my southern pronunciation, it sounds like a W-I-N. That's true, too, if we're doing wordplay, but I mean when, W-H-E-N, there most definitely will be a win. It's an expectation. It has to be there. Romans eight fifteen. Uh, we'll throw that up there quickly. Maybe. Somebody turn to Romans 8.15 and stand up and read it out loud. We're going to be, man, we're going to be wild today. Anybody? Romans 8.15. There we go. She's got it right there. Read it loud. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Oh. We have a dad. A heavenly father, a perfect Holy, heavenly Father, granted as a byproduct of the righteousness in which Jesus lived, the death in which he died, that we get to believe in, trust in. We have now been adopted in, grafted in to a life, to a family that we did not deserve, that we could not earn, that we can't possibly comprehend. And as a result of that, the byproduct, the expectation is that we talk to our dad. If we had been granted a relationship that we couldn't possibly pay for, that we couldn't possibly earn... We must take full advantage of it, and that works its way out just in this conversation that we call prayer. And I think we've, we've, we've taken it and we've made it complicated, and we've thought that there has to be these, these four, these five parts that starts with a thou and ends with an amen and that kind of thing, and those words are fine if you choose to use those in your normal vernacular, that's fine. But like there's reverence attached, but it's just it's a conversation with, through the relationship that we've been granted through Jesus to our dad. This is prayer. And it's a win. It's not an if. But so many of us, we're afraid to do it because we, we don't feel like that we've understand, understood the formulaic approach that maybe we thought had to exist. But I don't think Jesus is talking about all of these wins right here just to give a formula. He's just saying, no, it's, it's inevitable. You must talk to your dad. You must talk to your father. So the win is there as a result of the fact that we've been grafted in, adopted in, and I love this idea in Romans 8 um, that to understand adoption of that day, it's a little bit different than the adoption of this day that we live in now. Like adoption then um, was far more permanent than even natural childbirth. Like to be adopted into a family then, you were entering into a contract to say, look, I am bringing you into my family and there is nothing that you can do to make you lose your last name. Nothing. Nothing you can do to make you lose your birthright because I'm entering into a contract of adoption. I am pulling you in, and there's nothing you can do to, to lose that. And what's the crazy thing is, if there was a biological child that was born and they dishonored a family, they could be cast out, but not an adopted child. Not an adopted child. Therefore, there's a win. We have a relationship with a father that's guaranteed by the life, the words, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So there, there must be a, a win. The second wind shows up in, in verse 6. Let me reread verse 5 because it plays into it. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The second wind shows us that it's not about a performance, 
It's not about other listeners. It's not about all the words that we think that we need to use. It's not about a formula. It's not about that. But it's about an intentional, relational, disciplined conversation with just God. An intentional, relational, disciplined conversation with God. He says, when you pray, don't, don't be like those hypocrites. They were the religious elite at the time, standing on the street corners, using all the words, saying them very loud for everyone to hear except God for the most part. He's like, no, 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 just, just pull yourself away. Plan to be by yourself in a quiet place where it's just you, just God. Be intentional, be relational, be disciplined, and just speak. Speak. But I think there is something in here that maybe we we don't like a whole lot. In this particular when, I think it's implied that we need to plan for it. Because how many times during a given day do you have the ability, if you don't plan for it, to get away by yourself and to just talk to God? Those times don't happen on accident. Those times don't happen uh, just because you you earned an extra 15-minute break at work. No, these types of times, they, they happen because what prayer is, as we've been told through orthodoxy for a long time, is prayer is a discipline. It's something that we plan to do. It's something that we intend to do. It's something that we make inroads to do. It's something that we uh, cut out certain things so that we can do better. He said, don't be like those that just babble on on the street corners so that other people can hear them in their beautiful robes and their amazing beards. Beards are great. Mine stops growing at some point. But don't be like those people. Instead, just separate yourself to a quiet place where no one else is, where it's just you, just God, relational, intentional, disciplined conversation. Have that. Now, that's not to say that spontaneous prayers are, are bad, like 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, that won't be up there. It tells us that we should pray continually, like pray without ceasing, continue to do that. But those spontaneous prayers, those times of driving down the road in your car and having just time just to conversate with God because something comes on your mind or comes on your heart, like those times are a byproduct of the discipline times. Those times are a result of that intentional relational time that we have cut out from the rest of our day that we make a point that it's it's just going to be me and God today. Maybe it's me going over the things that you've already done or maybe it's me thinking about the promises that you've made or maybe it's me thinking about the things that I, I desire from you or the things that I want you to take away. Whatever it is, those times that we planned to be away from everything else, to quiet our minds, to direct our hearts, to still our very intent just on God and having that intentional relational discipline in time with them, those times of spontaneity, they're a byproduct of that. They're an outpour of that. But it starts with, with the discipline. And we don't like the word discipline. We like the word discipline when it comes to our diet. That's great. Yeah, especially early in the beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have a very disciplined diet. No more carbs. No more sugar. All grains. No grains. All protein. No protein. All fat. No fat. Whatever it may be. You choose it. You stick with it. I'm going to be very disciplined for two weeks. But either way, we like that discipline. Or I'm going to work out seven times a day. Not going to happen. Whatever it may be, we love those disciplines, but sometimes for some reason, when it gets to a heart level, when it gets to a spiritual level, when we start to impose those disciplines on ourselves, disciplines like prayer, disciplines like time in Scripture, disciplines like showing up early is on time, by the way. Those disciplines, we don't like that because then you're telling me what to do. It's okay to be told what to do, especially by someone who knows what you need to do. Jesus says, don't be like those people. No, no, no. Be relational. Be intentional. Be disciplined. Because after all, we've been granted a relationship with a father through the son who died, who if we just believe in him, we can know the one true God. Be intentional in our wins. And in verse 7, the third win, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. It's not saying not to ask, but it's saying He knows what you need before you ask. But in this place, the Gentiles at this time, the pagan worshipers, they would. They would have mantras, and they would have things that they would repeat because they felt like their God would hear them the more times they said it. Over and over and over and over and over and louder and louder and louder. He said, don't be like them. 
Don't be like them. On the contrary, understand. And I, I do think the reason that we're given the father-child kind of metaphor, even though it falls short in some ways, is because I know how to talk to my dad. Now, granted, I had a good dad. I have a good dad. He's a little slow, but he's a good dad. He takes a long time to do anything, but he's meticulous. But I have a good dad. I know that maybe a lot of you didn't. You don't have a good dad. You don't know what that's like to sit across the table at Waffle House and have a good, honest conversation with your dad. And for that, I'm sorry. But understand that regardless of the relationship that we had with our earthly father, we have a new relationship with our heavenly father, and it's better than anything that we can possibly imagine, and there should be plenty of wins for us to speak. And during those wins, when they're lived out and when they're planned and when they're disciplined, it's not about the repetition of unnecessary words. It's just about honest, sincere conversation. Honest, sincere conversation. A son to his father. A daughter to her father. Just heavenly father. Fill in the blanks. That's our wins. Like, it's not about a formula. And even though we've got the, the Lord's Prayer that we'll read in just a second, like, even this is not a formula. It's, it's a great example, and there's some things in here that we'll look at and we'll talk about, but it's still just, Jesus is just saying, look, man, when you pray, and there should be when, not if, be intentional, be relational, be disciplined. And it's not about the quantity of your words, but it's about the intent, the sincerity, the honesty. That's a result of the relationship that we were granted by grace. That's prayer. And if we struggle with it, if we struggle with it, maybe, maybe we've overthought it to a degree. And I, I do. Like, I think a lot of times we have. Like, we've overthought what this really is. But understand the lengths at which Jesus went to to create a pathway for relationship for us. I mean, great lengths. And he also went to great lengths to abolish a system that, that God knew that we couldn't live up to. So he's not going to replace that system with another system that makes it more convoluted just for us to have a conversation with our Father. That's, that's not what Jesus has done. Jesus has come to live out the law perfectly because God knew that we couldn't. And now he's birthed us into this thing called grace that we can't possibly understand. And as a result of grace, we get a new heavenly Father through a special Savior Jesus, through a Spirit that dwells in us that actually intercedes on our behalf, which is mind-blowing. And now we just get to talk to God on length about anything, as often as we want. But intentionally, relationally, disciplined, honestly, sincerely. That's prayer. And then Jesus gives an example. Check my watch. Oh boy. Here's our example. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the past, we've broken this down into parts and just kind of the, the ways that it starts, but just in their simplest forms, I think number one, the first part that we see is, is adoration and acknowledgement. Adoration and acknowledgement. Uh, he starts off with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just, number one, just knowing who God is, where he is, how he is, and then acknowledgement that the only will in the room that matters is his. Where he is, who he is, and the only will in the room that matters is his. Adoration and acknowledgement. Psalm 104, verses 1 through 9. Maybe. Yes, there it is. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. There are five more verses there, but basically this is another, we don't, you don't have to put it up there, but as an example, uh, if you read Psalms, and I read a Psalm a day most days, like a Psalm a day and then uh, a couple other places, but I read Psalm for a couple reasons. Number one, because um, there are days where I, I don't think I know how to pray well. 
And I think David did. Because David, like I read, I read these, and they're not all written by David, but the majority are, and I read them, and there are some things that he says that I've never been able to bring myself to say. Because I don't have that level of transparency with God yet. That's, what I've come, that's the conclusion that I've come to. And David, he just, he understands that intentional, relational, uh, disciplined, sincere, humble kind of idea of prayer, and he'll, he just says it all. But one of the things that we see him repeat over and over and over is just this adoration to God, like this adoration, like, uh, you're the God who made this. You're the God who made this. You're the God who did this. You're the God who delivered me from this. You granted me this over and over and over. We see him praising God because of the things that he's done in the position that only he holds, adoration. But then we see acknowledgement, too, uh, throughout the book of Psalms, and we also see it here in the Lord's Prayer of just like, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, the only will in the room that matters is his. And like this adoration and acknowledgement is just this idea that, that God, yes, you are great. You are good. You are holy, holy, holy. And God, what you want is what's right. And I want that too. Like if we read Nehemiah, like I, I read Nehemiah, and it's probably one of my, my primers on prayer, like Nehemiah chapter 1, before he goes to rebuild the city walls and, and undertakes this amazing task, like he starts off with prayer, just like bathing it in prayer. And, and the way that it kind of summarizes for me is he's just like, God, you remember when you said this? You remember when you said this? You remember when you promised this? God, those are the things that I want. He really wasn't asking God to call back and remember those things, but he's saying, God, the things that you want, those are the things that I want, and those are the things that I'm going to pray for. Like, that's the way that prayer changes us. That's the way that it moves us. That's the way that it, it makes us different, because prayer is not about changing God. It's about changing me, because God's unshakable. He's unchangeable. Like, his will is going to be his will, regardless of whether I believe it or not, but the purpose of prayer is to see God's will here, my will here, and I need to bend to his, not the other way around. Adoration and acknowledgement. God, you're this. You're that. You've done all these things. This is what you want. Therefore, that's what I want. Like in heaven. Like your will. Like that's, that's what I want. So here, that first place of adoration and acknowledgement, just for 30 seconds, this is what I want us to do. Tell God something great about him. Tell God something great about him. And then if you can say this, right after that, on the heels of that, just something in your words, God, I want to want what you want. Make me want what you want this year. So just for the next 30 seconds, number one, tell God something great about him. And then if you can, and if you really believe it, tell him that you want his will. You want what he wants, just for the next 30 seconds. Verse 11 of chapter 6, just a simple phrase of give us this day our daily bread. The, the word, order, word order can get confusing in Greek, but it's almost like just give us what we need for today. Give us this day our daily bread, or it may actually read just, just give us what we need for tomorrow, until tomorrow, just, just enough. And the reason that somebody can pray that, the reason that Jesus is letting them know that they can pray that is that they can actually trust that God has them today and tomorrow. And then the day after, they just ask again. They don't have to ask for more than they need because God has them. We see a beautiful picture of that is when the Israelites were wandering in the desert. You know, he, he rained down manna from heaven and he gave like, man, Cornish game hens right outside their door. And he told them what? He's like, don't collect more than you need for today. Don't collect more than you need for today because tomorrow I'm going to rain it down again. So just go and gather what you need today. In this particular place, in this particular prayer, same idea. God, give us this day our daily bread. Today, just give me what I need for today, this is the beginning and kind of a, a large overarching idea of what we generally think that all prayer is, is just petition. Petition is, it's real, it's there. But in this particular place, like it's just this, this idea that we can ask God for the things that we need. And I think the first thing that probably the main thing, yes, we ask God for stuff, we ask God for finance, we do that. But I think probably one of the main things that we need to ask is just guidance. 
We adoration and acknowledgement, but the second thing through petition is, is guidance. First Kings 3, 4 through 9, uh, we have Solomon, who was credited to be the, the wisest man to ever live. It says, And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a great high place Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon says, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and his uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am a little but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? In this particular place, Solomon, the wisest of all men, and maybe this was even the source of his wisdom, he just said, God, I need to know what to do. I need guidance. Like, I need to know what to do. You are placing me here because kings are appointed by God, believe it or not, appointed by God to rule over people, to be an extension of that, good and bad. And that's a crazy, mind-wrecking thing. But in this particular place, Solomon's like, look, you gave it to David, my father. I need it now. I need guidance. I need to know how to govern these people. There are far too many. Who can possibly do this? Not me, unless you show me how. Like through our petition, maybe this year, maybe the thing that you spend time praying in is just like, God, I just, I just need your guidance. I just need you to, to show me, teach me, push me with what I need to do. Guide me. Philippians 4.6, skip the next one and go to Philippians 4.6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgivings. Let your requests be known to God. And just another example of like, look, instead of worrying, instead of anxious, which means a, a rapid heart that has no peace, instead of that, like just ask God. Just take those questions to Him. Take those questions to Him. And, and, and James 1, it's not in there, but even James 1, it's like, uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all willingly without reproach. But do not ask without belief, because if you're a man in doubt, you're like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, unstable in all his ways. If we're going to take this to God, believe that he's actually going to answer. If we need to know what our next step is, instead of trying to, to logically process it, I'm, I'm all for a whiteboard pro and con, that's great. But maybe before that, just like, maybe we ask God, God, how about you fill up my pros and cons? If we're going to ask the how, the what, the where, the when... God's ready to give guidance. Petition him. Ask him for guidance. Ask of God, God, what do you want from me? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to be? When do you want me to be that person? How do you want me to get there? Just all those questions. We generally go to Google first. We, I do. Like, I love Google. And my kids love it too much. They don't try to figure things out. They're just like, hey, ask Google. I'm like, no, figure it out. But anyway, sorry. Maybe this year... We just, we just stop. We just ask God for the next 30 seconds. This is our prayer. If you can mean it, again, we're, we're not saying things we don't mean, but for the next 30 seconds in, in your way, God, would you show me who I need to be this year? Would you show me who I need to be this year? Let him inform you as to who that is. Another part of petition is not just petition for ourselves, but it's petition for others. Um, and we saw a great example of that with Zach and Becky, and we're going to continue to do that. But just another part of the way that we can pray this year is just in prayer for the one another's. That same adoption that grants us relationship with God also grants us relationship with each other. It grants us brothers and sisters in Christ. The one another's would not be there if there wasn't a central father. And so maybe this year, even before you make petitions for yourself, Maybe make petitions for other people. 
praying on their behalf. Um, Paul gives us kind of a master class in Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians. I'm just going to read one of these in Philippians chapter 1, verses... Let me go to the, actually the Colossians passage if we're going to read one. Sorry, there were a lot of references today, but I'm trying to make us, make us time, but it's going to be hard. Colossians 1, uh, verses 9 through 12, it says, And so, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing of the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in His light. Paul here, and in all of his letters, he reminds the people, hey, this is what I've been praying for you. This is the way that intercession, which is standing in the gap, this is the way that I've been standing in the gap for you with God. These are the things that I've been asking for. Uh, maybe this year, as we, as we spend time thinking about like adoration and acknowledgement, uh, seeking guidance, maybe we stop and we just pray for those one another's in our life thinking about the situations that they're in, the circumstance they're in, be they good, be they bad, whatever they may be, and just pray. Maybe you're praying for guidance for them. Maybe you're paying, praying for deliverance for them. Maybe you're praying for provision for them. Maybe you're praying for salvation for those who are not yet one another's, whatever it may be. Maybe before you petition anything for yourself, you petition God on their behalf. You intercede. You stand in the gap for them. Read Paul's letters. As he addresses people, he's like, before he addresses them and tells them the things that, that he needs them to see and understand, he's like, these are the things that I've been praying for you. And a lot of times it's we, because he's invited other people into it. Like, here's what we have been asking God on your behalf, for you to know, for you to understand, for you to be delivered, for you to have peace about this, peace about that, direction about this. Like, maybe we just spend time interceding for others. For the next 30 seconds, first person that God lays on your heart, just seek God's goodness for them. First person. Maybe it's Zach and Becky. Hey, we'll welcome that. And I'll even plant that in your mind right now. Just maybe pray for them. But if it's someone else, that's fine. Pray for them. Two more ways to pray. I'm going to move quickly. Psalm 51 is David's response to massive, egregious sin and it being pointed out by a prophet who told him a story and a bit of trickery and, and David responded. And the prophet Nathan was like, the story that I just told you was about you and David's broken. And we see his response in verse 51 and he says this, he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, your chesed love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He's like, look, I've sinned. Please forgive me. The other part of our, our, our prayers that often we neglect because it's embarrassing and often it's the very thing that keeps us from going to God in that regular, relational, dis disciplined prayer is our sin. Like God's given us a way already. As a matter of fact, Jesus was the ultimate way to deal with our sin. But even as we've looked at 1 John a couple months ago, like 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Like when sin enters the camp of a believer, even though it's already been forgiven for eternity, circumstantially, it's still there and it has effect. And we still do the same thing. We confess, we repent. And we do that through prayer. We do that through conversation. We see David, a man after God's own heart, according to God's mouth himself, in this particular place, David sinned hugely, hugely, massive, massive sin. Even by the world standards, what David did was wrong, very wrong. And David, he's like, have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast or covenant love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. God already went to great lengths to send his own son to die for our sin. The least we can do is just confess. Confess. And I think confession is specific. 
That doesn't mean we can remember everything that we've ever done, but I think in the moment when the spirit that intercedes on our behalf from time to time with groanings too deep for words, very often that spirit's going to convict us, point us towards wrongdoing, missing the mark, sin that we've committed in that moment as a result of the discipline that we've already entered into in the prayer in the quiet place with God, and God speaks to us as a result of that. We stop right there. God, I've done this, and it was not right. Let me leave that with you. Turn from that and just, just follow you and you alone, whatever it may be. And again, David's about as bad as they could be. Adultery, murder, up there. If David can go and take that to God, we can take our stuff. Just take it to God. And here's the point, the beauty of that. Uh, and later in this chapter, verses 13, it says, Then... After the forgiveness has been granted, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Open my lips. My mouth will declare your praise. The point of forgiveness is restoration of what's broken. It's not another do and it's not another don't. No, it's so that what God granted us through salvation can be brought back to its fullness that was hindered as a result of my disobedience, my sin, whether it's a sin of commission or omission, doesn't matter. It interferes. And David said, forgive me so that I can sing of you again. Forgive me so that I can talk of you again. Forgive me so that I can teach people who are not of you about you. Forgive me so that this can occur. As a part of our prayer, we confess have to confess. Deal with our sin. Deal with it with God. Because even in this place, it's a great reminder. He said, my sin is against you and you alone. Even though he had a man killed, he got a woman pregnant out of wedlock. He says, my sin's against you. Our sin, regardless of who it involves, ultimately, it's against God. So we go to God. We go to those people too, but we go to God and we seek forgiveness. And then here's the fifth, and we're going to lump these two together in a prayer before we wrap up. I'm sorry I'm going on. This is one we're uncomfortable with. We're uncomfortable with sin, but this one we're probably far more uncomfortable with. It's another reason that I read a psalm frequently. Um, it's called Lament. Lament. There's a book in the Old Testament named after it, Lamentations. We'll read from there really quickly. Lamentations 5, 1 through 5. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. Our wood uh, we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. None of that sounds good. None of it. But over and over when we read the Psalms and we read Lamentations, we read people of God who are just taking the bad to God and just spilling it out. Most of the time we read that and we're like, I'm not going to take my complaints to God. I'm not going to take those things. There's a difference between lament and complaint. Big difference between lament and complaint. One we take to God, one we need to confess. Complaint is what we see in the Israelites when they're wandering around in the desert. They're taking their, their, their bad things to God, but what they're doing is they're like, why in the world did you take us out of Egypt? We had everything we needed there. We were great. They weren't. They were being killed. They were being oppressed to the point of death. But they're like, but at least we had stuff to eat there. They had stuff to eat every day. Manna from heaven and fried chicken. Not fried chicken, but I mean, it was pretty close. Modern equivalent. But they're sitting there and they're complaining. They're not lamenting. They're complaining. The difference is in a lament... Like we see it in David frequently over and over and over. A lament is taking the things to God that are negative in our life, but we're still trusting that God has the answers. We're as complaining as we're saying, God, your way's not working. I want my way back. That's complaining. God doesn't want our complaints, but He does want our laments. He wants our laments. And very frequently, again, we're just... Maybe we feel ill-equipped. Maybe we feel like it's not our place. But God, like as long as we can take these things to God and say, God, you just have to know. And I want to tell you, I do trust you, but today's just hard. I'm experiencing loss. Fill in the blank. My parents are getting divorced. My marriage is in a bad place. I may lose a child. All of the worst possible things. Don't you think a loving father wants to hear those things too? Like he wants to hear our heart and where it is. We don't have to sugarcoat it for God. 
We don't have to say, God, you know what? Everything's fine. As a matter of fact, we go back to Matthew chapter 6 when he says he knows the things that you need before you even ask them. Like he already knows that you need him, so why wouldn't you ask? And very often in the lament, the, the crazy thing about laments that we see in the Old Testament, very often David's just tossing them out there and he's not asking God to fix them. He's just saying, God, here was my rough day. Here's my rough day. I will still praise you, but here was my bad day. My son tried to kill me. Um, you know, uh, these people, they're at this side, these people at this side, they all have spears. They're wanting to throw them at me. Um, my kingdom's in shambles. Uh, I just, I would rather eat dirt and die, but God, I'm going to trust you. I struggle to say those things. I do. I struggle to tell God how bad my day's been. But the difference is, I do believe what David understood that I struggle to understand is even though my day may be bad, God's still good. And that's what makes me being able to take the negative things to God a lament and not a complaint. God wants to hear those things. Last year, during one of my kind of quiet times or, or times that I do soap, I was just reading and it said that uh, our prayers are like incense to God. And it just struck a chord with me. Something in me that just went off that I, I, maybe I'd forgotten that, you know what, like when I spend time, that relational, intentional, disciplined time, just speaking to God, it's like incense, a burnt offering that's a sweet aroma to God. It's not about the words that I say. It's not about the, the specific uh, canon or the specific uh, formulaic approach or anything like that. It's just that I stop, I take the time, and I speak to my Father. It says it's like a sweet aroma filling God's nostrils. God wants to hear from His children. Like he desires to hear from His children, not so that we can earn more favor, but as a result of what's been granted, relationship with God only through Jesus. We get to talk to our Father whenever we want. If I asked for a show of hands with everybody that struggles with prayer, I guarantee almost every hand would go up. If you want to make a New Year's resolution, if you're one of those people, or if you just want to set goals, those are better. Maybe do this. Just plan to talk to God once a day. Just plan to talk to God once a day. Maybe make time to uh, tell Him how great He is, acknowledge that His will is the will that you want, Seek guidance for you. Seek guidance and intercession for others. Maybe confess sin. Or maybe spend time just saying, God, I, I trust you. But my day was terrible. Whatever it may be, God wants to hear from his kids. And it doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be elaborate. But it does need to be intentional. Relational. Humble. Sincere just a child to their father. We get to do that. I still find it crazy. Some of the things that we're afforded as a result of the gospel, like eternity, that's crazy. Eternity with God gets crazier. But the fact that I get to talk to the creator of all things whenever I want and know that he hears me, that shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. But it does because of Jesus Let's take full advantage of that this year and next year, but just, you know, in light of the new year. Let's take full advantage of that this year. God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for being the God who made all things. Father, as a people, I pray this year that we'd be marked by just prayer, intentional, relational, disciplined prayer. And as a result of that, our understanding of you would grow, our relationship with you would grow, our maturity in you would grow, and your kingdom would grow because we would be more obedient and do the things that you ask. I pray we'd seek your will before our own. God, I pray that we'd find opportunities to tell you how great you are. Father, I pray that instead of going all other places for guidance, we would go to you. I pray we would remember those who are the one and others around us, Father, whose lives are marred by struggle, and we'd spend time just seeking your good for them. Father, I pray that our sin would come to mind when we speak to you so we confess. And Father, I pray that we would feel the freedom 
to tell you when things are not fun, when things are not enjoyable, when things are hard, but still trust that you're in control. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, some announcements. I'm sorry we've gone over. That's what happens when things get rewritten. Um, so we did something in December called the Christmas Give Campaign. Does anybody remember that? Last year we did this and we posted, you know, kind of the total because we wanted people to know. Um, I'm kind of blown away. Like, just to, to let you peek under the covers, and they're not really secret. Like, we publish our finances, and we publish all the budget stuff and everything. You can see it anytime you want. Abram Curtis is back there with scarf and all. He'll be glad to share any of those specifics with you today. That's not called a scarf. It's called something else. But either way, he's got something wrapped around his neck. You can talk to him. <clears throat> our general budget last year was about $20,000 a month. Okay, that's what we needed to, to meet all of our needs and even more needs, to be generous. We give away 10% of everything that comes in. Uh, we take care of our staff. We take care of everything. We pay rent downtown, which is not cheap. We do all these things. Our general budget is about $20,000, $20,500 a month last year. Um, general giving last month, and I, man, we don't talk about money very much, but I just, I, it just, it just kind of blows my mind. Uh, general giving last month was about $41,000. That wasn't the give campaign. That was general giving. Some people may have given to general giving on accident, thought they were giving to the Give campaign. If you did, that's okay. Hey, it's fine. It'll be put to good use. It'll be given out. The Christmas Give campaign, which we're splitting between three different places, one, Set Free Alliance, which you can talk to Andrew Hendricks. Uh, he can tell you more about how they're setting kids free from slavery, how they're planting churches, how they're giving clean water, doing all that stuff in places that we are not. Um, another will go to um, Mountain View Christian Counseling. They're a nonprofit in downtown. They do Christian counseling, do it incredibly well. Uh, they're not for profit, so they needed to raise funds. And then the other third is going to send people to Guatemala in April, a team that we're sending, which is about $2,400 a piece, that kind of thing. So it, it's not cheap. $41,000 came in through the general giving last month. $34,000 came in through the Christmas gift campaign. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. Like, you know, to be honest, we're a church of about, on Sundays, like 125 to 150. That doesn't make sense. Doesn't add up. Thank you so very much. Uh, we get to write a couple of really big checks this week, um, and, and we're super excited to do that. Like Greenville, I mean, uh, Mountain View Family Counseling, Christian Counseling, like they just ask if we could do $5,000 for the year. They're like, we know that's a big ask. I'm like, I'll see what happens, and we'll do our best. Like I get to take him to lunch this week and give him a check and be like, hey, how about this? And, man, I'll be honest, I'm selfishly excited about that. Really, really excited. Andrew, the cat's out of the bag for you, um, but don't tell your hire. I don't know how, however you want to do it, man. You can put a bow on it. I don't care. Um, but, yeah, we're super excited. We're also super excited that it won't be a burden for our people to go to Guatemala now. Because um, well, I don't know if it's a lot to you. It's a lot to me. $2,400 a head uh, to go to Guatemala is a lot. Um, so thank you for doing that. Thank you for being generous. Um, a couple other announcements really quickly. Um, the Larrabees, we will post info on that. We'll post updates as soon as we have them. Uh, we'll send them out in the weekly email if you want to get that. Make sure you sign up. Community groups restart this week. They took a break for Christmas. If you're not in one, you can go online, find community groups, find one, jump in, be there for that. Uh, we have all of our leaders. We're having dinner tonight. We're feeding them amazing Chinese food, and we're just talking about the semester ahead. If you don't like Chinese food and you're a leader, sorry, bring your own dinner because um, we're going to have good Chinese food. They start this week uh, as early as tomorrow night, so find one. A new round of discipleship groups are about to kick off, so if you want to get in on one of those with one to two other people where you just read scripture together, you talk about what God's doing in your life, you pray for one another, super simple discipleship, just how God intended it to be. Uh, if you want to get in on that, again, that link will go out on social media this week and the weekly email. You can sign up. Uh, next Sunday, our youth community group, the first ever in Origins existence, will kick off next Sunday night. Woo um, super excited about that. Uh, I think it's 5 to 7 o'clock next week, something like that. And then it'll be twice a month for a while until we, we need to outgrow. It'll be at the city workspace, which you guys also conveniently paid for last year. Pretty impressive. Thank you so much for that. Um, see these guys over here. Wave your hands. See them. They're going to be leading, leading the charge on that. So if you have uh, a son or daughter, seventh grade or above, they'd like to get in on that. We'd love to have them Sunday nights. Um, and then Guatemala, we do know what we're going to be doing. Uh, the project changes every year. We've got five slots open. Uh, to go on that trip if you want to. The cost will be much less now, like I said. Um, we'd love for you to go. Uh, we're going to be 
literally laying water pipe. That's going to be one job. They need clean water in Kakapek, and they don't have it. So we're going to help them get that. We're going to be doing a VBS. Uh, we're going to be doing some other things, but that's the main, main extent of that. Um, $100 secures your spot, and we're going to help you raise as much as possible so that you don't have to pay a whole lot out of your pocket. Um, last year, I think the most anybody paid, don't quote me on this, I'm pretty sure the most anybody paid was 300 bucks. Uh, which is pretty crazy. People are incredibly generous. They want to have a presence there. If you want to know more about child sponsorship, we've got fresh packets back on the table of children that live in Kakapek. Uh, you will meet them when you go. You'll meet their families. They will hug your neck, uh, and they'll give you food that you don't know what it is, but it'll be good. Um, and so we would love for you to go on that trip. My wife's not here today, but she can tell you everything about that next week. Uh, we are way over, and I apologize. So we need help tearing down. Stick around, do that. Um, Happy New Year. Super glad that you came. Um, let's be people of prayer this year. Let's pray well. I mean, let's, I mean, if you can pray hard, let's pray hard. Uh, let's do it well. Let's seek God's will. Let's tell him that he's great. Let's take our needs to him and the needs of others. Um, and let's love him through that relationship that we've been afforded through Jesus. Have a great week, and we'll see you guys next Sunday.